0: Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep.
1: Never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta in February. And in this episode, we catch up with Jared Ward, post-New York City Marathon, where he ran tremendously. Well, it's also... After the new, after the NCAA championships where he was part of the broadcast team and his BYU Cougars took it down. Couldn't wait to talk to him about that as well. That is for sure. Before we get into the episode, I also want to highlight uh, last week's episode on the Rambling Runner podcast. If you listen to this podcast stream, definitely go over there and subscribe as well. Last week, we had uh, Megan Featherston on the podcast, who is not only a sub-three-hour marathoner, but a registered sports dietitian, and we did an exhaustive Q&A. Actually, the the listeners provided the questions, she provided the answers, and I had some follow-up questions as well. She is just such a wealth of information, and it was a privilege to have her on the show. So, with that being said, here is my conversation with Jared.
0: Jared, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Matt. It's good to be back on. Well, I'm so
1: excited to chat with you. Obviously, New York went very well. You were right there with the leaders right till um, very close to the end. And I can't wait to talk to you about it. But before we do, Jared, as you well know, running can can kind of alter back and forth between being an individual sport and a team sport. And one team in particular has done very well recently. The BYU Cougars, first of all, congratulations.
0: Hey, thanks. That was... uh... You know, I was out there um, as a color commentary with uh, Flow Track, and so so I was on the course uh, commenting on the race for for their broadcast, and that was a fun one to be commenting on.
1: I can imagine, and not only that, you know, you you're, you're so well connected to that university through your work as a you know a professor there. You know, you also obviously are real well connected with the coach there, and then one of your other, you know your one of your training partners. Just like you had a wonderful New York City marathon as well. So I guess first of all, what's your connection like with those two programs now? Considering that obviously you live a very busy life on your own.
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm a volunteer assistant coach with the mm-hmm. BYU cross country teams, um, which mostly means I run with them. I, you know, I play a very ancillary role, but I, but I'm involved with those guys, and um, and uh, yeah, it's fun to see them run run so well and. And to see the program run well, you know, I I remember at a a team meeting six years ago um, after our cross country season, we finished fourth and we were grateful to finish on the podium. But we had we had hoped to finish higher and we had aspirations of winning that year. And I remember standing up and saying to the team, some of the, you know, the guys six years ago that someday that BYU program is going to win a national title. And when they do, I'm going to say that's my team and it's going to be all of our team uh because we contribute to team culture uh that builds over years to a program that that can win and so after uh, after the the Cougars won a couple weekends ago I was I was on the phone you know seemed like the rest of the day with with guys that I was on the team with um guys that were on the team before I was on the team and uh sharing memories of our experiences on the team and really feeling like you know, we were blessed to be a part of the program that was building towards that title, you know, teams don't uh, often materialize out of thin air and and do things like that. You know, I think most of us, uh, most of us have the blessing of, of riding on the shoulders of those that came before us to give us opportunities to do uh, even greater things. And so I think we all felt like uh We were very much a part of the team this year and they and they ran tough like, i'm I'm really proud of this team and and the guys on the team and and it's a it's a tough crew, but I think we all felt a bit of ownership in the the title or the culmination of many years leading to that title
1: and Why were you so confident six years ago that they would win a national title eventually?
0: Well, six years ago, I felt like we had made some giant steps even just while I was on the team we went from a team that was qualifying for nationals every year to a team that finished on the podium twice while I was there and um were the number one ranked team in the nation periodically uh, a couple of times uh, while I was there and I I don't know I think I just could see the trajectory of this team and you know winning nationals isn't so simple as being the best team in a given year. Things have to come together uh, at the right time, you know, at at nationals. And and in fact, I would say BYU likely wasn't the best team in the NCAA this year, but things came together right at nationals uh, to win that title. And I just thought, okay, this team is on this level and the system is good and the coach is fantastic and the culture is good. And I just didn't see any way statistically – that this team wouldn't eventually end up at the top of the podium.
1: Look at you dropping the statistics all the time. <laughs> in every in every cohort. Uh, that's awesome.
0: You know, I just I have that mind, Matt. I just have that mind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, being a college athlete and and I one as and I was one as well, really is a special time, especially if you're part of a program that is doing things the right way. And and by that I don't necessarily mean you know, winning championships or winning games, depending on your sport, but more of creating that culture where you're striving for success, but also supporting each other. and you have a coach administration that can kind of lead by example and also show leadership in other ways as well. And recently, and for good reason, we've heard a lot of, you know, you know unfortunate stories about coaches who haven't necessarily done right by their athletes in the short term or long term. So what has been your experience? both as a student athlete and now as you know being on staff in terms of trying to be a part of and trying to lead a group where you're trying to have the kind of culture that is not only sustainable for success as a team, but for each individual
0: in mind? Well, there's a couple of ways that you can have success. You can have the dictatorship model where the coach comes in and the coach calls all the shots and it's my way or the highway and the it, you know if the coach knows what they're doing then they can create success by micromanaging the details and and you know coercing the team to success and that's one model that people have success under but that's not the model at BYU and I think coach Istone came in and twenty years ago began establishing culture and and coach istone is so far from you know walking into a room and um and my way or the highway you know i I don't know that he would i don't know that he would ever call it you know my team I don't know if he would ever say my team because he he comes in and he facilitates an environment in which leaders can develop and he lets the team set the goals and he's there to guide the team. And he has fantastic advice and he knows, he knows what he's doing coaching. He knows what he's doing. You know, he, he ran professionally for over a decade and and competed on a couple of Olympic teams. He knows what he's doing, um, in terms of motivating the, the mental aspect of, of running and training the physical aspect, but it's not a, Hey guys, this is my program and this is how we're doing it. It's very much a conversation and he lets guys help dictate what the team's going to look like that year, and what the goals are going to be like, and even what races are we going to run, or when are we going to be? When are we going to start sharpening up, or what do you think we need? And he, you know, he takes feedback from athletes, and uh, and sometimes you know he has a good reason why we shouldn't do something, and he'll explain that. Um, but he just breeds leadership, and so I think the the culture that Coach stone has established is really what has won. A national title, and that culture is going to continue to be vying for these national championships, and it's going to continue to be a podium team. And I think, even so much, you know, I, I'm going to be so bold to say that someday, even when Coach stone is done coaching, the program is still going to continue to have success because he has established culture, and um, and it's a it's a it takes more time than the dictatorship coaching model but i also think it lasts and and like you're saying it creates those incredible team environments and gives the student athletes an opportunity to develop as leaders and that's what coach iceholm does
1: and how has your coordination with the athletes and with the other coaches influenced your perception of what talent is and what talent isn't and what people are capable of doing given time and the right effort and persistence?
0: Well, I think what it's done for me is it's shifted emphasis in my mind on really finding the best talent to finding people who are going to fit in with and continue to develop the team culture that's critically important for teams like this BYU cross country team. I mean, if you look at this team, if you were to go to, you know, look compare high school PRs for runners on this BYU cross country team to some of the other teams in the nation, there's no way on paper that these guys should win a national title. It's mostly guys from Utah and a few other guys over here somewhere on the West Coast. And that's it and it's it's a culture developed program and so I think there's a real power to principles of synergy and when the when you're doing something for a team. I mean we had a we had a guy, our our fifth man on this team is a steeple chaser and he'd never run a 10K before nationals. And, you know, he finished just a few spots out of out of All American. He's a powerful steeple runner. He's not really a cross country build, but he was running for a team. And I think it's illustrated to me the power of that team culture that we've talked about and maybe even more important than having the best high school recruits in the nation is having the right high school recruits that are going to continue to develop in and fit with this culture. And, and I think that's what I've seen from coach Eyestone and, and coach Taylor on the women's side has done amazing things, directing the women's team to success very quickly. She's been here for four years and they were a close second this year. And I think that's what they're doing. I mean, they they're recruiting talent that fit in with the system.
1: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, and it's also one of those things where it's hard for people. And and shoot, I'm one of them. As someone who comes from a team sport background as a basketball player, is seeing the interplay between these individual sports, which are also team sports, in so many ways, especially when it comes to supporting other people and, and things like that. And I can totally see how maintaining culture, obviously you need a minimum level of athletic talent. That That's a given here. Um, it's not that they're just taking, you know, the five guys who were entering coach's office first and putting them on the team. But, you know, once you get that minimum standard that these personal characteristics can play such a big part. And I know even in Dina Castor's book and in so many other publications you hear about say like Joe Vigil espousing these same kinds of virtues you know, 20 years ago, you know, same time where Ed Eyestone, uh, you know, joined on at BYU. And again, to great success over at Adams State. And I know that, you know, those two are not the only ones um, kind of preaching this method, but it obviously rings true and the success also speaks for itself.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I think you're right on.
1: So let's talk about, you know, kind of moving, shifting towards the New York City Marathon. Also kind of staying on the BYU tip, Connor McMillan as well, who had who had an unbelievable race. And obviously, as someone who's been training with him, you must have seen some of this, um, you know, behind the scenes. What was your training like in terms of partnering with him and other people in this buildup and doing some of these key workouts by yourself?
0: You know, we really trained together quite a bit and and Clayton Young was training uh in that group as well and um and I uh, you know we're going to pick up Connor Mance here soon who was third at Nationals in cross country training through the winter ahead of the trials and and we really really have a strong marathon training group and when we were building into this you know McMillan and Clayton and I we were running I would say 80 to 90% of the workouts together and sometimes we'd overlap with the BYU team and and Connor Mance would be right in there. Um but you know I I knew he was fit going in and and we would talk about New York Times and and his goals and where he wanted to finish and and I would you know I'd say hey Connor if you look at your watch and and you have a 455 split or even a 450 split somewhere in there in New York uh that doesn't need to make you nervous because you're, you're fit. And, um, in fact, we had, uh, a workout, what was it about 12 days before the New York city marathon, where coach likes to have us do one last tempo at marathon pace, just to make sure that we can feel the pace and it feels good and, and rhythms good. And, and he, uh, coach Istone was having me go four fifty pace and he was going to have Connor go about five minute pace for this tempo and really just dial it in. And, uh, we ended up running the tempo stride for stride together at about 450 pace. And I thought, man, Connor looks great. And I think, you know, that and some of the other workouts really did give him some confidence. But to put it together on the day in a marathon is huge. And, um, and for Connor as such a new marathoner to have that kind of success really as a rookie at the marathon distance I think really bodes well for his future. But, you know, he's the guy we, you know, we're looking, I'm looking at the guys that I'm training with and, and coach I stone as well. And Connor, Connor's built for the marathon. He has a very efficient stride, uh, long runs, long tempos. Those are his strong suit more so than the fast stuff on the track. And, and I think, you know, we could look at him and say, Hey, you're, you probably are going to have one of the most natural transitions to the marathon. Uh, but, you know still to put it together on a day as a rookie marathoner really i think bodes well for his future and i think um, we should expect to to continue to see his name in the marathon for a few years
1: and as you well know there's a big difference between having a great training block and feeling fit for the marathon and putting it together and I know you've been very consistent but you've also you know had a lot of experience in this, and you know, you're not a newbie, and I'm sure that you, you know, you probably didn't want to express this to him, but on some level, you probably were well aware that you know, not we don't always race to our fitness or race to our potential, right? It's hard to exceed our fitness, Lord knows, but sometimes it can be hard to get there. So, in relation to you specifically, I know in our preview episode, you, you know, sounded very fit and confident, and um, we're excited to, to to race New York on race day. How close were you? to being, you know, as healthy and as dialed in as you wanted to be?
0: You know, I was healthy and fit, Matt, and I, you know, maybe close to the, the best in my life, and um, and that did give me a lot of confidence going in. The, the morning of, my stomach really didn't feel well, and uh, and I wasn't able to get nearly as much nutrition in me as I'm used to. I wasn't drinking much for my water bottles. In fact, probably over half of them, I just uh, swish it around in my mouth uh, more for the psychological effect of getting sugar than, than actually feeling like my stomach could handle me drinking it. And so I struggled the last few miles feeling, I think, depleted, but I was very pleased with my effort. And I thought I ran a very solid race and i think especially given you know given waking up with a with a bit of a stomach bug or something um i'm i'm happy with the with the result and and very happy moving forward you know i think i've recovered well from the marathon and am looking forward to atlanta in february and it's given me a lot of confidence feeling like i i was fit and ready for the race but then the race day handed me uh, maybe a little bit of an off day, but was still able to put together a race that I'm proud of. And so I it, it gives me some confidence going into Atlanta and feeling like, hey, if if all the stars align, then I think I'm ready for a, a fantastic race, hopefully, in Atlanta. But even if all the stars don't align, I think yeah, I now have confidence that that I can have a solid day there. Uh, even even under less than ideal less than a perfect day.
1: And after New York you had this this interesting quote and I want to read it back to you and see if you can expand on it a little bit. You said ultimately I want to do something today that established myself as a different marathoner going into the Olympics than I was last time.
0: What exactly did you mean by that? You know, I I, I felt like on paper I very much had a breakthrough in Boston uh, earlier this year, and and I say on paper because uh, I believe that some of the marathons that I ran two eleven and two twelve in three and four years ago under the race day circumstances were probably equivalent to a two ten or a sub two ten marathon, but uh, but I hadn't put that race together, and so after the Boston after my Boston performance. Where I broke 210 you know for the first time and had a two minute PR, what I wanted out of New York was to validate that that is the caliber of marathoner that I am, and that it wasn't just a, a fluke day or an outlier day at Boston that that's really where I should be, and it's where I felt like I should be. But I wanted to validate that with a performance and and I felt like I got that out of New York.
1: Yeah, and it's so interesting to hear you say that because you're also at the same time one of, if not the most consistent marathoners that we have right now in the American field. And we'll talk about you know Atlanta at a later date and really dive into it. So it's so interesting to hear you you know talk in those in that light because you know we kind of view you as you know right at the right at the top of the field in terms of not the top of the field per se because we're not entering a race, but kind of the top of the sport in America right now. And to hear you talk like that is also kind of inspiring because you obviously still have goals and levels that you are excited to reach. So when you were doing your training block heading into New York, did you feel like you were hitting levels that you hadn't in the past? Or was there like any level, any amount of consistency that maybe you hadn't in the past? Or do you feel like it was relatively similar to either Boston or other buildups that you'd had?
0: You know, it was maybe a little more similar to Boston, um, but I, I had had a more consistent uh, buildup. And, you know, if I look back at training logs three and four years ago, um, I have some crazy workouts where I ran times or hit splits in the workouts much faster than, than I've been running, you know, going into Boston or going into New York. But, but the picture as a whole just hasn't been as clean. I would have great days and then I'd kind of have days where I struggled on or, or days where I didn't feel as good, but I just kind of put my head down and force it. And, um, and I've been a lot more patient over the last few months and, and maybe the last year. And I think that that has contributed to me being healthier and just being able to have solid performances day in, day out, and, and maybe even a little, little less mentally taxing. You know, I would get... You know when I hear a workout um that's you know five by two mile or coach likes to do these uh, mile repeats, he calls them fatigued mile repeats where we do a ten mile run and then meet at the track and and do some hard intervals and and some of these workouts that are like staple coach i stone workouts when I would hear we were having one of those workouts, I felt a certain level of pressure to run faster for the workout than I had ever done before and so These, uh, these workouts would be physically draining, certainly, but also mentally draining. And I think my new philosophy is to be consistent and to get solid workouts in and to let my fitness come. And it's a lot less intimidating to show up to the start of a workout. I don't, I don't stress over workouts anymore. And, and if it's not a perfect day, then it's not a perfect day. Um, but I, I run more effort-based and I think that's what I felt going into New York. My mileage wasn't as high as, as it had been in the past. And frankly, as I'd like it to be, I was, I was hitting more around a hundred miles a week or maybe a hundred to 110. And I'd like to be 10% higher than that, um, going into the trials. And, uh, but, but I was just being very patient with it and I was letting, letting the mileage come gradually. And, uh, you know, and and so I guess that's where I was at. I I do feel like I took some time to get my speed back last summer after Boston. I started training with some of these BYU guys on the track as they were getting close to the end of their track season. You know, that's the Connor and Clayton that I'm training with now, and Rory and Connor Mance. and um, I feel like I did get some speed back. So my speed going into Boston or going into Chicago. Sorry, not. Sh- go my speed going into New York was is. certainly better um <laughs> than my speed was uh going into Boston but i you know the but the, the long stuff was good too and um anyway so you know things things change uh but i'm i'm certainly a lot more patient uh in my training now than i used to be
1: and I heard you talk about Lifetime Fitness uh, last week on your podcast with Tina Muir. <laughs> and I thought that was a great, a great uh, part of that interview. And it was, it was great all around. But I really enjoyed that that aspect of it. And I was thinking about Lifetime Fitness in relation to the marathon specifically. And how much do you think it matters compared to, say, like you see someone doing a 5,000 meter or 10,000 meter? How much different is it for a marathon specifically? And I say this under the guise of people like, say, like Connor who will be you know, towing the line, potentially towing the line in Atlanta who have run really good races but maybe don't have the breadth of experiences as, say, someone like you or Abdi or a variety of other people?
0: Well, yeah, it, it doesn't mean um, – I, I think lifetime fitness is massive for the marathon. Now, it doesn't mean like that someone like Connor McMillan or even a, a debut marathoner can't make the team. Um, you know, we in fact, we've seen that Galen, Galen made the team in, in 2016. Now, Galen is, is, is likely the, the best distance runner that America's ever had in terms of talent. Uh, but you, you see it, and I don't think you need lifetime fitness, but lifetime fitness can carry you if the training cycle wasn't perfect. So, what I mean by that is take a Connor McMillan, he, he ran. New York, it was technically his second marathon, but, uh, he calls it his first marathon as a man. So I I think there's some merit to saying, Hey, it was his first marathon, um, his first real marathon where he really did a training block for it and and prepped for it now. So the, the trials, I'll call it his second marathon. If training goes perfect for him going into the trials, And he's fit and ready to go. He can put together a great race. Um, But for someone like me, there's a little less pressure on the training going well. I think to a certain extent, I just need enough training to unlock lifetime fitness. Now, I can't just show up on the start line without having prepped and say, hey, I have lifetime fitness. I don't think it works like that. But, But to a certain extent, I think if I'm fit enough to unlock lifetime fitness and I'm healthy, then... I'm gonna have a chance at the trials and, and everything else that I can do in this training block, in addition to just that minimum to unlock lifetime fitness is all bonus. And that's really uh, that's really how I look at my training for myself.
1: So what are you planning on doing over the next two or three months to make sure that you're as fit as you possibly can be while minimizing the potential for injury or things hurting you either in your preparation or on race day?
0: Well, I try to be patient. So, you know, I, I ran, uh, about 80 miles last week and we're now what three or four, four weeks removed from the New York marathon. Um, and so, you know, next week I'll, I'll bump that up again and I'll probably hit, uh, around or this week I'll probably be at about 95 miles. And then next week I'll try to get over a hundred miles and it's just building gradually. And we've started to introduce workouts, but, um, But I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not doing anything to force those workouts. These are just, hey, keep the fitness where it's at while we're building volume. And uh, that's what I'll look like for the next uh, two or three or maybe even four weeks is getting volume where I want it and having these consistent workouts. And then when we get into January, that's where I'll begin to assess how am I feeling? And if I'm feeling a little bit beat up, then we just maintain that same philosophy through January. If I'm feeling really good when we hit January, then we start to say, okay, I got this, this base under me and, and workouts, you know, a good block of workouts. Now we can begin to push a little bit. And maybe that means, you know, and then that'll be a conversation with coach. Are we pushing the long runs? Are we pushing the speed? Are we pushing the tempos or are we pushing the volume? and um and that'll be a conversation we have to say hey where where are we going to tighten up the screws a little bit and uh and then when we get towards the end of January and the beginning of February that's where I say okay we're we're 5 weeks out from you know in and maybe even 6 weeks out but 5 or 6 weeks out from the big race um and that's where I look at the kind of the the peak of training and if i'm healthy then that's where we really push things and we say, okay, let's tighten up all the screws and we'll push for two, three, maybe four weeks. And then we taper. And that's the end of it. And if, if I'm feeling banged up at that point, then we just say, okay, let's, let's focus on staying healthy. Let's maintain and let's get to the taper and then taper on the end. And so I think I, I, you know, I'm in a position where I feel confident and optimistic based on where I'm at and as we move through phases of this training block up until the um the trials it's going to be first checking the box of getting fit enough to unlock lifetime fitness and then the second box to check is staying healthy and then if we can get to the third or fourth or fifth boxes those are all uh tightening up the screws on on things like speed or endurance or long runs and uh but but we only get to those things after first, get to lifetime fitness, and second, ensure that I'm staying healthy.
1: And how do you incorporate your workouts into your schedule in regards to, you know, potential like winter inclement weather, right? All of a sudden, there's a couple inches of snow on the ground, or it's just not really safe to be doing a really hard workout outside. How do you incorporate or shift around your schedule in those instances?
0: Well, I love the treadmill, Matt, actually. And so um, on days when it's it's just not good weather to be outside. I, uh, I don't have a problem getting on the treadmill for, for even for a long run. I, I handle treadmills really well. Um, but I also, you know, BYU has a fantastic indoor track. And, um, and so if, if, if weather's bad or gets ugly, sometimes it means we have to shift things one day or we have to flop, a Tuesday and a Thursday workout and say okay we'll do this workout inside because we can use the indoor track and it's more of an interval workout and then we'll go out on the roads hopefully on Thursday um but the Utah weather is normally not so bad that um that it it throws a wrench in things for longer than a day or two and and we get sun and and plowed roads and and we're back to sure footing and dry roads within a couple of days of a bad storm typically so do you have any races on the schedule pre Atlanta? No, none yet. Uh, I, you know, I consider a tune up race in January. Um, but we'll see, you know, I feel, uh, the, the older I get, uh, the less and less I feel like I need a tune up race. And, um, and so when we get to middle of December, or end of December, I'll start deciding if I feel like, uh having a sharpener is going to do me some good either by getting out and having a really hard effort on a race or just by going through a a race day, you know, simulation, get up early in the morning, have, you know, feeling some nerves, get out there and run. Um, and so if I feel like I need that towards the end of December, then I'll, I'll pick a tune up race and, and I'll, I'll sharpen up in, in January. But I think, you know, at this point it's, it's likely that I'll just, uh, I'll just stay at home and train up until the trials.
1: There you go. Jared, thank you so much for coming on the show. Congratulations again in New York and to your, you know, your your alma mater, BYU, kicking some serious butt in the NCAAs. Congratulations all around, and thanks for coming back on the show.
0: Hey, Matt, it's so good to be back on. Thanks for what you're doing. Jared,
1: thanks again for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to talk to one of America's best runners and such a good guy as well. And hey, who couldn't be more excited about basically their alma mater taking down the NCAA championship and he's there? not only a part of the team, helping with the coaching, but to be part of the broadcast team as well. Such a fun uh, endeavor for him. I know that for sure. So Jared, again, thank you so much. Thank you to the listeners. I appreciate it. And also, if you wouldn't be so kind to share, rate, and review the podcast as well, if you like it, that's the best thing you can do for the show. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to MetaP for the music and his song, Evolution.